Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 54 for July 7th, 2011. Donovan! Star Trek, the next generation. Yay! Next gen. So we're doing volume 2 of Star Trek, the next generation. uh, Issues number 1, 2, and 3. And these came the last quarter of 1989. Like last week's episode, when we were uh, reading uh, the original uh, series uh, version, uh, also produced by DC around the same time period, another uh, very good set of writers and pretty good artists in general um, involved in this stuff. So this is this is good stuff too, just like last week. Right. So all of these are written by Michael Jan Friedman, who we all know from. Um, lots of Star Trek expanded universe type stuff. Uh, and the artist, though, is Pablo Marcus, who did the first six of the miniseries, the Next Generation miniseries that we did back in episode five and six, if you can remember back that far. And we didn't, I don't know how to say this politely, but I didn't care for that art back then. Yeah. And uh, I think it's better here. I think I think overall the the comic book's a better quality comic book than that miniseries was. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, I think the uh, artwork doesn't quite look like the actors. Right. Okay. Whereas whereas last week's, I thought the artwork was great. All three of those issues. Yeah. But these are definitely these are like the prestige format <clears throat> of. Uh, well, it's not prestige, but it was a higher quality paper. It was a higher quality of. A uh, comic book, and it cost, you know, it cost more. It wasn't a dollar; it was now a dollar fifty. Where at the time when these Ooh. came out, uh, most comics were still a dollar. So, right. uh, it was it was their quote unquote new format. And um, you know, if you compare, if you compare the two, the, these comic books, these Star Trek comic books, at least are, I think, a better, much better quality than, than their previous counterparts released by DC. Yep. Definitely better than some of the ones uh, that we have read in the past. Yeah. Okay. So you want to just jump straight into issue number one, Ken? Please, let's do that. So uh, this one's called Return to Ramon. And published date October 1989. As Donovan mentioned, writer is Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler, Pablo Marcos. Letters, Bob Pina. Or Pinaha. Colorist, Juliana Ferreter. And editor is Robert Greenberger. The issue cover shows a nice next-gen montage of all the main characters, the Enterprise-D, and a landing party materializing on a rocky planetary surface. Nice stuff. The inside titled page presents a one one full-page panel with the Enterprise-D streaking towards some fast-moving spheres and a huge irregularly shaped hunk of rock. Captain's log tells us we are approaching the planet Ramon, where the inhabitants have an 
interesting attitude towards death. When a Ramonian approaches his death, he holds a celebration before he dies in honor of the person about to die. In his office, Picard is reviewing communiques concerning the premarch of Ramon, who is the planet's most important political figure. He is near death and asks for Picard by name to lead the Federation contingent to attend his death celebration. The Federation's mining agreements makes representation a must. Riker enters the office and does his protect the captain routine. Picard tells him this is not technically an away mission, but Riker counters saying the Premark's court is a viper's nest and dangerous. Because Picard was present at the previous Premark's death celebra celebration, he must attend this one or risk insulting the current Premark and his family. The current Premark is the son of the previous Premark. Or Premarch. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Riker wants to accompany Picard to watch his back, to which Parker, uh, Picard agrees to. Scene shifts to Worf on the holodeck as he stares down and defeats a nasty-looking green holodeck baddie in a wrestling match. Geordi and a new character named McRobe look on as the match unfolds. McRobe is another engineer who is gushing over how tough Worf is and how he could never tackle such a huge opponent, whether it's a hologram or not. After Worf takes the opponent down in record time, McRobe continues to say he wished just once he could do something like what Worf just did with his body rather than doing everything with his mind. Picard, Riker, and the rest of the landing party assemble on the transporter pad. Dr. Catherine Pulaski is also in the transporter room for some reason that is not explained. Picard invites her down, but she takes a pass. She has a very McCoyan dislike for the transporter. They transport down, and during the transport, Picard mentions a special person he met when last there. It was a five-year-old girl. Watch it, Picard. Pathetic McRob has a fight with Warp's, Warp's big green hologram sparring partner, and it almost kills him. After ending the program, he walks out of the hollow chamber with a possibly broken arm. Wah, wah. At the death celebration, Picard and his team walk around checking out the party. Not long after their arrival, a very large and unfriendly Ramonian named Tardal accosts Picard from behind. Tardal tells Picard he has a lot of nerve showing up where he is not welcome. Picard counters that the Premark feels otherwise. After a bit more verbal sparring, Tardal says things will be changing soon and storms off. Picard says he always had a dislike for off-worlders that unfortunately has not diminished over time. The next person to approach Picard is much nicer to him. She is a tall Amazonian woman that throws her arms around Picard while Riker gives her an amorous once-over. She turns out to be the Premark's daughter, Lutina, and the little girl Picard spoke of on the transport down. She admits to having fallen in love with Picard on his last visit when he was an officer on the Stargazer and she was a small child. Back on the Enterprise, 
in a rec room of some kind, Wesley hears from Dr. Pulaski, Geordi, and Miles O'Brien that Captain Picard actually expressed admiration for a five-year-old child. Something new happens every day. On the bridge, Deanna is thinking to herself how Data makes a very capable captain. But the fact that she can't read any discernible emotions from the temporary captain makes her uncomfortable. Back on the planet, Picard is turning in for the evening, and Riker is letting him know he is a holler away. When Picard closes his quarters door, he is confronted by a Ramonian that tells Picard he was sent to bring him to the premark for a confidential discussion. Picard asks why the secrecy, and why should he believe the stranger? Despite his misgivings, Picard leaves with the stranger on a several-mile horse ride to the Premark's summer home. Picard is told to enter alone, and does so, but on his way in, he, co he contacts Riker to tell him where he is. Picard continues to walk through the deserted-looking home until he comes upon the aged Premark who is sitting in a large chair. Picard moves his shoulder, or touches his shoulder, and he falls to the ground with a gaping hole in his back. It was all a trap, and Picard fell for it hook, line, and sinker. Out of the corner of his eye, he sees a shadowy figure running out of the room. Picard gives chase and manages to catch up and tackle the shadowy figure. Of course, it's Tarpool, but he says Picard will not live to tell anyone. At that moment, the lights come up and nine armed security guards tell them to stand still. They are both charged in, in the murder of the Premark. To be continued. Murder. Murder most foul. Yes. Yes. So, you kind of saw it coming. <laughs> Uh, Did you? And it, and it happened. Oh, come on. I I, I thought Picard was going to be in so much trouble when he goes off, you know, with this guy. I didn't mention it, but they're basically climbing down a, a, a piece of rope from <laughs> Picard's, uh, you know, quarters down to the awaiting um, horses. Yeah, didn't you think it was funny they had horses and not like unicorns or some other type of horse-like animal? Yeah, or maybe tauntauns, something. Yeah, but I mean, like in Star Trek Five, I think it was, they yeah. had a horse, but he had a, a, I think it was a unicorn type horn. Really? Wasn't it Wasn't it Star Trek Five that had those? Oh, Star Trek Five had horses, no toys about it, because... Pretty Shat sure they, pretty Sh sure they had horses. Shatner's big time into horses, and I think he was actually able to use one of his own horses in the filming. Right. But it had a horn? I didn't remember that. Yeah, uh, I might be wrong, but I was pretty sure it did. They looked, I mean, the, those horses had, like, a lot of extra stuff on it, <laughs> uh, you know, that made it look a little bit more, a little weirder, but, I mean, like, 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 almost like extra cloth or something, like, uh, but I didn't remember horns. Anyway, well, but yeah, I agree, so, right. Yeah, I just thought it was funny, because these, these creatures obviously don't look anything like humans, yet they have horses that look exactly like earth horses. Exactly. Of course, you be... never know. That that could have been a gift at one point in time. From, from the Federation? The, from the Federation, and they may have really dug on. But... Yeah, that's possible. Um, you think they'd be advanced enough? I mean, 
I mean, they've been in contact with the Federation for how long? I mean, since uh, the girl was a, uh, a five-year-old? You'd think they would have, you know, speeders or something. Well, yeah, but but throughout the whole thing, don't they keep talking about how they want to go to the old ways and things like that? I mean, that's why this whole trade thing is in dispute, right? Maybe, but I don't. is it the old ways, or they just don't want to have off-worlders? I don't know, but they also had the, uh, you know, the... Fight. Oh, oh, that's not happened yet. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So um, <clears throat> I'm kind of surprised we had the type of the uh, what I assume was a publishing error. Oh, really? Where? Well, towards the front um, of the book. Oh, it's the oh, third yeah. page where there's the white outline of Picard at his desk. I think that was an artistic choice, but it does what? look weird. But why? Okay, you know, I thought about the possibility of that, but what would be the point? It, what, well, what would be the artistic point of that? Yeah, so so that we'll actually explain what it is since since I cut you off. Uh, go ahead and, and say what it is, and then we'll talk about it again. Well, it's just the outline. Okay, so this is at the beginning of the story. The cards in his office. He's kind of thinking about the past, and we're finding more about the Ramonians. And uh, uh, Riker comes in, and there's a shot of Picard sitting at his desk, and he says, Gobble, as he usually says. And it's just him in the office, but instead of him, it's basically just a, an outline of him, a silhouette, and it's completely white where, he, where his body would be. Right. Yeah, so th I think that's an artistic choice, only in that the next panel shows Riker in the room, yeah. and Picard is behind the desk, and the desk that Picard's behind goes from that panel to the panel that you're just talking about, yeah, it, it, it's and tough the to monitor yeah. is... It's tough to describe, right? but I, I think I know where you're going here, since those two kind of mini panels some to some degree kind of overlap with each other. You're trying to say they didn't want to have Picard in 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 that that merge thing twice. Is that what you're saying? I just think that that it was just an artistic choice to kind of do something different. Yeah, well, it's kind of. But know. if it, it was it a choice, me, it, I think it was kind of dumb. It threw me off too, and I had to really look at it to go to try to figure out if it was a mistake or if it wasn't. And eventually, I chalked it up to being an artistic choice only because of that. You know, if that computer that's in front of the silhouette the white silhouette of Picard yeah. was supposed to be in that frame then it doesn't make sense why the computer would be turned around facing away from Picard well so yep but and, but and, I agree and, with you it's, and I, it could go either way I'm chalking it up to a typo but I mean <laughs> I I yeah I, uh, I mean you you'd be I mean this is, like you said this is pretty high quality stuff I'd be surprised if they had a publishing error like that so Right. Maybe it was an artistic choice, but I just question it. Yeah, so I, I question it enough that if you go back to the Facebook page that I um, put out around uh, beginning of Fe July, I uh, have a picture of that, and I have a picture of um, that one comic strip, number 11, I think it was, where mm -hmm. it had Spock talking to Kirk, but Spock's head was missing. Do you remember that one? Do you remember that picture from way back when? Kind you of. Might, yeah, you might not. It was just it was like this, except that one I think was obviously a mistake because his body was colored 
and and drawn, but his head was missing, and it was just this white blob. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I put on Facebook, I put that picture, and I put this picture, and I put, you know, artistic choice or mistake. Ass. You be the judge. You be the judge. Okay, so we're, we're split 50-50 on that one. Okay. Yeah, I can see it both ways. Right. Absolutely. Me too. Me too. Uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was kind of odd. I mean, unless you got cancer or something or some kind of disease, and even then, you don't always know that you're approaching death. So this whole idea that where the Ramonians have this party ahead of time before you die, I thought was rather, um, must be kind of a hit and miss kind of tradition. <laughs> I mean, in general, you're probably right, you know. You're on your deathbed. Of course, if you're that far along, you're not getting much fun at the party. Well, he's but... not even at the party. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's up well, in his castle waiting to die. That's an interesting point. They never sh- They never showed him at the party. No. Nope. So, so the idea is you're not supposed to be there because you're on your deathbed. I guess. That was one of the questions I had, too. It didn't, mm. it didn't make sense. I, I kind of wondered if it was supposed to be like a Socrates thing where – well, I mean, Socrates didn't drink the poison on purpose or by, well, his, by his choice. But I kind of <laughs> right. wondered if, if that's what it was, that once you got to a certain age and you're about to die, then you had this big party, and then you somehow offed yourself if you didn't die by natural causes by that by that exact moment. Right. But, hmm. I mean, because they, they're very sure he's going to be dead at the end of this party. And indeed, he ended up being dead. And yet they're they're mad about it for some reason. <laughs> if I was Picard, I'd be like, "You wanted him to be dead. We just had the party." Exactly. Well, well, it, I don't I don't see what the problem is. It kind of proves the point of the party, I think. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I agree with you. It it they were very sure he was going to die, and it doesn't. It's not clear why he's not at the party. Right. What do you think about the uh, precursor to Barclay? <sighs> Um, I don't like McRobe. I think, yeah, I don't like McRobe. I think he's a, a wimp. I don't think he's broccoli. I think he's, uh, <laughs> I think, I think he's a dweeb. Do you really? I kind of like him. I don't him. like him so far. I liked him, and the whole time I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this this is the template for Barkley. Yeah, I can see him kind of being like Barkley in a lot of ways. It's just in the end, I mean, I like Broccoli. Uh, Bro- Barkley. Broccoli. Um, nickname. But I don't like this guy at all. I, I think I think he's a whiner. I think he's a whiner with his girlfriend in the next issue. I think it's the next issue. Um, he's definitely a whiner here. And then when he, he ends up getting his uh, arm broken in the holodeck or what hurt anyway. It's like, well, what did you expect? You dweeb. It's like, <laughs> you're not Worf. You know, come on. What is this? Anyway. I, I think maybe you're being a little too harsh on him, but I get your point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of the holodeck, I always love the holodeck. I always love the idea of the holodeck. But the idea that somehow... Because, of course, the whole idea of the holodeck is... Um, Photons. Uh, solid photons. So it's somehow able to turn projections of life, light into 3D that is tangible, solid. Um, 
and, and would be constructs that were all around you um, and, and acting like reality. Uh, it's like, I, I don't know. It, it, you know, if, it's another thing like the transport. If you think too much about it, the thing all falls apart. But right. I, I love the holodeck idea of the holodeck. I just but you, you can make sense to me. You can get hurt in the holodeck. They're always oh, talking yeah. about the safeties getting turned just, off and it, right. It's just that it's made out of light. I mean, all the constructs are 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 projections of light, hologram holograms. They're light. I mean, how are lights solid? Now I know they've got fantastic uh, hundreds of years ahead of us uh, tech and everything, but how do you make light solid? I just well, they they say it's force fields or whatever, and a force field could push on you hard enough. Well, okay, I've never heard of the idea that it's force fields. When did that come up? I don't know. I thought that's how they explained it in like one of the first episodes. Uh, force fields would make more sense, but all I've heard about is that these are basically solid uh, projections of light. Of well, 3D like, light like the do- the doctor on Voyager, I think they say he's photonics with well, a mix okay. of uh, n- not a force field per se, but some sort of force projection type thing. Yeah, and that's even more amazing since he's off the holodeck. I mean. You know he can come off the holodeck and be walking around. And I know he he's got that. Little... I know he's got that little projector thing. You know that little pin or whatever he's got. That's his uh, hollow projector. Hollow emitter, right? Right, uh, emitter, whatever. Um, it just—that's <laughs> really an amazing piece of technology. Not only do you have all the computing power and storage and whatever's necessary to make him mentally, his personality and everything, the doctor. But it also has the ability to do the projection and if it's doing what you're saying is making some kind of a force field to, to, to give him solidness so he could actually pick something up or push something away or whatever. Or in this case, be a, uh, a deck sparring partner. Um, that's one hell of a little device. Well, that's that's because it's from the twenty eighth century. Ah, yes. What was it? Was that like? Was that the one where there was the Bill Gates kind of character involved in it or something? Right. Yeah, that's when he gets it. Right. Hmm. He gets it from the the USS. Uh, I think it was Prometheus or something like that. That the, was from the, the future. Traveling ship or something. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. Right. So I, just, I, I looked I just it just up. Throw that out. Uh, Barclay. His first episode was in April of 1990. So just a few months after this was released uh, was the first Barclay episode. So they're not too far off. No. So I like to think this guy was uh, the, the Barclay template. Uh, and he's not that bad. He's In fact, he's probably not as uh, annoying as Barclay. I mean, I he, like he, Barclay a lot. He's less annoying in the next issue. Well, or was and, it the third issue? I don't know. One of the issues coming up, he's not as annoying, but he's a to me, he's annoying in this issue. Yeah. Well, at least he's competent at his job. Yeah, he seems good at his job if he just gets over it. Yeah. And he gets over his whiny. Oh, I want to be a big tough guy. Well, you're not. So relax. Well, he never gets over it. (laughs) At least not. Even after issue four, he still has a little bit of that in him. Ah. It's because of my father. Blah, 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 blah. He was an engineer, and my father before that was an engineer. Now I'm just a wimpy engineer. Oh, oh! <laughs> did he say his father was an engineer? Oh, I, he, I think he did. He said his 
Uh, that's the next issue. It sounded like his father was pushing him to be more manly and take charge and whatever. I thought it was his whatever. grandfather that was, was wanting him to do something else. Yeah, well, whatever. Not crazy about the character. It didn't make sense. It was when he was whining to his wife or girlfriend or right. whatever she was. Exactly. Got more detail there. And she was hot. Why she was putting up with that tool, I don't get. But whatever. We'll talk about that in a minute. In a different issue. So, speaking of somebody putting the moves on a hot person or a hot chick, uh, <sighs> I was really surprised Riker didn't put the moves on, uh, I forgot her name, the uh, the princess or whatever she is. Uh, yeah, what was and, her name? Have you ever seen Riker not start hitting on a hot female when she walks in? <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, she's kind of like uh, under Picard's protection or something. I don't know. And and I think he might have. But, he, I mean, she ends up, you know, whisking away Picard and spending so much time with Picard. I don't think he had a chance. Yeah, well, I think in the show he probably would have found a way. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you dog, Riker. Yes, I bet. You're probably right about that. L so what do you think about Lutina? Lutina is her name. Oh, that's right, Lutina. What do you think about the uh, artwork, especially in regards to, not necessarily the artwork, because I thought the artwork was was pretty good as far as Doctor Pulowski. No, oh, but well, I think the coloring was a little exactly. off. I completely agree. Her hair was totally yeah. wrong. Yeah, she's a, it a was... complete golden blonde hair. Exactly. And I went back and and took a look at some pictures. Just to remind me, because I thought her her hair was 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 brown or something, and it's kind of like a dirty blonde kind of hair, but but not yellow, not bright yeah, not bright yellow. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Plus, again, I mean, they draw uh, they draw her with a pretty decent shape to her, uh, and I think yeah. by this point in time that she was on Star Trek, Diana Muldar didn't quite have the uh, the shape she's got in this comic book. Yeah, and she's she looks a little younger, but again, everybody looks a little idealized, especially when it comes to muscle tone. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Although not as bad as that that one set of issues. Yeah, no, it's the same artist, but he he has toned down the uh, their physiques a little bit, makes them a little more realistic. Exactly. And he doesn't have you know the, the Bickleys aren't there. Right. Thank unfortunately. God. Unfortunately. <laughs> I do like I do like reading the letters pages on all three of these, and mm -hmm. that's like one of the first things they always mention. The Bickleys will not be back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate that. But you did well, notice that. I, I, when, I think when they're when taking their writing a little more seriously in this. Oh, absolutely. You know, so you wouldn't you wouldn't want the Bickleys around. But you, you did notice that when they're not wearing their uniforms, whatever they are wearing still has the their pips on there. We saw that in the uh, first miniseries. But I don't ever remember seeing that on the TV show itself. No. Like, even when they're wearing their, like, workout suits, you know, which is basically like this little strap over their bare chest. The little strap has the number of pips that, uh, you know, um, McRube or Worf, you know, that has the right number of pips. Yeah, their workout outfits. Yeah. So the last thing I had was I know that there's a wharf data, you know, struggle later in Star Trek, but was it was it already here in in, in season three? Um, because you know, Worf really has a problem with data being in command, and I know that 
later in the series, towards the end, that plays out. But I don't remember it being uh, a plot point that early in the series. I don't remember Worf having a problem with Data being in command. I remember there were some other characters. Like, there was this one guy, uh, pretty late in the series, there was this one character who was a name actor. I mean, I've seen him in a lot of different things. He was just a crewman that popped up out of nowhere. And uh, he, there was a big problem when uh, when Data was captain and Picard was uh, someplace else commanding the armada or whatever. But I don't remember Worf having a problem with it. Well, that's weird, because I, I remember did, there was... Did they talk about... Worf having a problem with with Data in command in this book, and in this and book I they do, it? yeah, um, or at least I hope, I hope it's. I know one. Deanna mentioned it, being uncomfortable with it, but well, he even kind of maybe it's the next one. Oh, is it? Well, he there is a part where he's saying Lieutenant Worf, status please, and he says nothing unusual to report, sir. sir. Okay, I didn't really take it like that. Like that was a negative thing. But now well, looking back next, at it, maybe? Uh, the next in the issue. next issue, it's definitely more evident when he's kind of even contradicting what 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 Data's orders are, or at least giving his own opinion. But we'll talk about that here in a second. Okay. All yeah, right. I suppose Anything so. I, I, didn't, I didn't pick that up on, that, on my first reading of this issue. I was reading the Starfleet Confidential thing at the end of this book, and it, which is like, it's kind of like a letter section at the end of this uh, issue. But it was interesting because I was reading all that stuff about uh, Next Gen ushering in a whole slew of new first-run syndication series. Uh, like you had talked about oh, some issues ago uh, or some episodes ago uh, of our podcast. And uh, it was interesting reading uh, that, that info here that you had given before, too. So, interesting. And that's at the end of this one? Yeah. Mm, cool. So, they talk about they talk about Superboy. <laughs> I don't think they did. Because when I was a kid, that was a high Saturday was the highlight of my uh, week because uh, Superboy came on at five thirty, and then Star Trek: The Next Generation started at six. So, or maybe Superboy might have came on at five, and then some other random show at five thirty, and then Star Trek at six. So, I lived my life according to that schedule back then. Cool. I was really popular. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, anyways, what do you think about the aliens look? We never really did talk about it. Um, To me, they look like Thundercats or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's what they look like. Yeah, so they have uh, feline features. Feline, yes. Yes. Quite large, As, <clears throat> quite tall. Uh, yeah, they're creatures. they're all a good head head or so taller than the other humans. Cool, very threatening, especially uh, Targal, Tardal, nah, that guy, Tardell, Tardell. Okay. Anyway, so that's all the setup for the next issue, number two. Yeah, let's see what happens. So, Star Trek: The Next Generation, Volume Two, Number Two, came out November nineteen eighty nine, or at least the cover date was nineteen eighty nine of November. Uh, the writer and artist and letterers are all the same from the last one, I believe. So I guess we don't necessarily need to reiterate all of them. 
Just double check. Yep. Uh, just on a note, I like how they do the the credits. It looks like it's uh, it's the Starfleet logo, but it looks like it's like in re- where a head would be of a of a Starfleet personnel. So it's like their shoulders with the four pips, and you can kind of see the outline of what would be the red trimming on like a Picard uniform. Did you notice that? I did not notice that until you just mentioned it. So kind of cool. Now that you mention it. But of course it's in blue, which is a little off-putting since it's normally isn't it like black? Yeah, yeah. And last last issue it was yellow and white, and in next issue it's purple and blue. Hmm. So it's just kind of a cool visual. Yeah. All right. So we start off uh, with the cover where it has Riker and Lord Tardal ready to fight with some Darth Maul-looking laser swords, and uh, above them, kind of looking like they're having a glass of tea is uh, Picard and Lutina. So Lutina and Picard kind of look like they're gazing into each other's arms and not really paying attention to Riker's fight to death. Yes, considering that Riker is doing this fight in place of Picard, Picard looks like he's having a pretty good time. Well, we don't know that yet. We're just looking at the cover. But yes, you're right. All right, so we start off with uh, Riker informing Data and Troy about Picard's arrest for the murder of the Primarch. He, he explains that Picard will be placed on trial, uh, but he's investigating the murder there on the planet. Uh, he informed them that there is a video recording of the party, and he asked Troy to look over uh, the video and see if Lord Tardell's body language uh, gives away anything that he's planning to murder the uh, the leader. At the trial, Picard and Tardell blame each other and point fingers at each other. Uh, Tardell says that Picard has motives since the Parma. Is it Parmarch? I think it's Premark, but Premark. I have no idea if that's right or not. Yeah. So Tardell says that Picard has motive to kill him since the Premark was about to withdraw mining rights from the Federation. In the end, Tardell invokes the ancient right of trial by combat, something they must have borrowed from the Vulcans. Uh, it is a fight to the death, and the winner will be the innocent party, which Picard agrees to. On the Enterprise, James McRuby, or McRobbie, whines to his hot wife about how wimpy he is. She builds up his confidence and gets him out of his funk. So, uh... He he has quite the uh, quite the wife there. I'm assuming wife. You said girlfriend, but either way, they're obviously romantically involved. Picard informs Riker that of the upcoming uh, combat. He then contacts Data and informs the bridge crew. Data recommends that Picard uses a surrogate for the battle, and Riker volunteers. Picard refuses the offer, and as Riker is leaving. To further his investigation, Lutina walks in. She pleads for Picard to run away because she does not want to see her childhood hero killed or disgraced. Picard reassures her that everything will work out and her father's killer will be brought to justice. On the ship, Troy and Data are watching the video. She does not see any indication that Tardell is hiding anything or is about to run off and kill the uh, Parmark. But she does notice that someone else on the tape does seem a little nervous. 
We cut to Picard talking to Data about the mysterious find. Picard must make sure that Troy is absolutely certain. She does, so Picard states that he will need a champion to stand in for him after all. In a huge arena, Riker and Tardell are about to fight with spears and not the lightsabers that were on the cover. They start to fight, and it looks like an intense battle with Riker taking a few good licks. Meanwhile, in a skybox-type room, Latina is lounging on a sofa watching the fight. Picard walks in, and he states that if Riker dies, then her father's killer will go free, and asks, won't she? Latina immediately catches the implied threat and commends Picard for figuring her out. She explains that she did it to keep the Federation mining rights that were making her very wealthy. She smugly acts like she is about to get away with it when the judge from earlier walks in and states that he has overheard the whole thing. The fight is then called off with the two defendants uh, cleared of the murder charge. Uh, Latina is arrested and the Enterprise, group, uh, the Enterprise crew beam back to the ship. The end. So a pretty good ending to a good two-parter, I think. Yes. Yes, it was. We had a little mystery there, as well as action, battle, and all that kind of stuff. Political intrigue, too. Yeah, I didn't mention it, but uh, the weapon that, that it's implied that she used to kill her father was this little ornament that she wears around her neck in the shape of the Stargazer, which has like a switchblade embedded in it, <laughs> which I thought was weird one that she has this little ornament around her neck and then two that she somehow modified it to have a switchblade inside of it yeah and, and three and three that that little because because when she's holding it in her hand it looks like a, a little stargazer thing it, it looks like a, a pendant kind of sort of big pendant but still a pendant and and it shows a little knife come out and it's like when that pre-mark went down uh, you could see his back had a pretty good size hole in it, and and this thing looks like a little pen knife or something. It's like right. she must have been working a bit to get that big old hole in the back. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I know it's the same thing. To me, the little the little stargazer looked like the salt shaker from the nineteen <laughs> or the two thousand nine Star Trek movie. Yep. Yep. I thought it, it was. It reminded cute. me of the same thing. It was cute. Only many, many years before that film was created. Right. So I guess we're supposed to just assume that it was some sort of a Christmas ornament or something. Yeah. It's kind of funny because, um, I mean, so Picard obviously gave it to her, I assume, without the knife in it. Um, <laughs> you know, back when he first came to that planet. So Picard just has little pendant models of the stargazer that he hands out to to wayward chicks. Mm. Well, That's I cool. guess you can you can replicate whatever you want to. So Did they have replicators back then? Oh, uh, good point. I don't know. No, it, it, that that's nitpicky. Uh I, I it's cool. It's all cool. <laughs> you can make anything you want to on a starship. I mean, exactly. Kirk even said he could manufacture diamonds and stuff in right. a uh in the cat's paw, paw episode, so I'm sure you can make a little model of the uh, Stargazer. Well, you can make diamonds now, right? Just squish well, a bunch of coal, get it really hot. 
yes, there are machines that can actually do it. Hmm. So, would you, would, did you like this? I mean, you said there was a mystery, but the mystery I didn't think was... Well, the, the fact that the chick did it. Yeah, but there wasn't much of a mystery because it's really solved by Data and Troy watching a movie off screen and then coming back and saying, we figured it out. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you're you're well, following the clues with them to find out what well, who, no. did, who well, did. at the very beginning, well, unless you assume Tardall did it, uh, at the end of the last uh, issue, you don't know who killed uh, the Freemark. You knew it wasn't Picard. You assumed it was uh, Tardall, but you don't really know for sure. That's true, I guess. Uh, I, so don't that, know. I don't know. I thought that was the mystery, but... <laughs> oh, well. I, th- I thought it was... Uh... Uh, McGruber's wife. Or his name's not McGruber. What is McGruber. it? McGruber. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that a, isn't it? Isn't that a character on Saturday Night Live? Yeah. Turned Mc, uh, movie. McRobbie. McRobbie. The mystery is why he's with that femme fatale. Well, he's he's a good guy. I mean, just because he's a little down on himself doesn't mean that he's not a good catch. <laughs> he's, just, he's just he's just in a he's funk. A dweeb. He's a dweeb. Yes. So this is where he's talking about. Oh yeah, here it is. It says it says uh, I'm a poor excuse for a man, just like my father said I was. Right. The father was saying things that made it sound like uh, he like like the father was Joe Sports Guy or something. Oh yeah, and here's where it talks about the uh, grandfather. He says my father was a pioneer, like his father and his father's father. They were ship's captains, men of action. And what am I? You're a wimp. I'm just Get over a yourself. bookworm. I'm just a bookworm. That's right. Well, he'll prove himself someday, maybe. In some issue. Maybe. He definitely gets into a bit of a thicket with uh, his hero, Worf, in the next issue. But I will say what? nothing more. You're spoiling. <laughs> Spoiler. Okay. So overall, again, artwork I thought was good. Um, the yeah. Uh, yeah. the aliens look even more Thundercatian than they did in the last <laughs> issue, especially once they start taking their shirts off. Yeah, yeah, their orange orange skin or fur or whatever the heck they got going. Yep. And uh, although I will comment that Data looks is drawn really weirdly on the top left panel of page three. On page three, let's look. Shall we? Uh, it's not too bad. Oh, come on. Look at him. He looked, He looks like some kind of Toltec god or something. I mean, he just... Uh, he just I don't know. Yeah, he lo- it's, his, it's his nose flat. is all weird. It, it, his eyes a... are all weird. It's, <laughs> it's weird. a little It's a little off. It's a little uh, off. It's not horrible. I'm just... No. It just distracted me. What got me about Data in the artwork is that... Um, Often he's using his arms in these grand gestures and stuff, which, as we all know from watching Star Trek, he usually doesn't fling his arms around when he's talking. No, he's yeah. not Italian. Yeah, but there's several pictures where it shows him with his arms widespread and down near his chest, and then with one arm up like a you know Shakespearean pose type thing. Right. And I'm just like, yeah, that's not data. That's not the data we know. Uh, although I must say, the whole trial by combat thing, you know, where two people are accused of a crime, and they get to fight to see who's guilty, and, and is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. 
So basically, might makes right, and as long as you're big enough and mean enough, you're never going to go to prison. It's like, really? No. Well, Usually it's those people that need to go to prison. <laughs> well, he does say that it's an ancient uh, right and that it's not yeah. invoked very often, but yeah, they, you're right. They, they backtracked some, but come on. Yeah, if it's you're like, a big well, burly what, guy, what? you of course you would do that every time you get accused of anything. Exactly, exactly. Jeez. That guy beat me up. Did he? Trial to the death. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I beat myself up. Sorry. Yeah, good point. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I must say, I did get the feeling that Lutina had something to do with the death before Deanna spotted it. I don't want to say anything here. I'm just saying. You you thought that because I, I, of some clue or just because you figured there was going to be a twist? Uh just because I'm such a neat guy. I just I just had a feeling. I just I don't know. I don't know I don't know what put me on it, but I was having the feeling she had something more to do here than they they weren't mentioning her much. I just figured there was something more going on here. Like mm. she had something to do with it. But I did not expect that she killed her with the stargazer. I, that I was not expecting. See, there was a surprise. There was a surprise. Yeah, I knew that there was going to be a twist at some point. There, there always is in these kind of stories. It's right. never as clear cut as you're you're led to believe. Exactly. It's the bait and switch. So, did you notice how everybody seems to uh, touch their communicators in a funny way? Uh, in a funny way. Hmm. It's like in all the pictures, it shows them touching the communicator with their left hand, which it it looks odd when you're touching your left, you know, your le- upper part of your chest with your left hand on your left side. So it just kind of looks – to me it looks weird, and I know for Boy, a fact that – that is something that you would notice that. <laughs> I, I'm looking at a picture of Picard doing it, and you're right. He's doing it with his left hand. And then the next just... picture shows Data doing the same thing. I mean, everybody who uses their communicator in this issue and last issue uh, use their left hand, which I'm used to always them reaching across their chest to do it. Right. Well, you know, maybe uh, Pablo is a southpaw and he wants to get more uh, more advertising going for him. Maybe that's it. I don't know. So you didn't notice it then? It didn't. I didn't notice it at all. Okay. It went right over my head. All right. I just thought it it, it just looked off. So I just thought that's maybe very, that's, just that's very observant of you. Well, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Speaking of observant, um, on that very first page, when it shows Riker's head on the view screen, and everybody's like gaping up at it, and he has a big head. Yeah. But it looks like he has the star field behind him, and then on the next right. page when it shows him in real life, he's just sitting on a green chair with some crew members behind yeah. him. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Is it supposed to be superimposed or something with the star field that actually is in front of them? I don't know. I don't know. I've never seen that in any of the other shows. Right. And do they always show people so huge? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And also the late, the blonde lady... The hippie blonde uh, lady in the blue uh, top in, in the beginning, in those sh- first shots where they're showing the huge head Riker. Oh, yeah? On the view screen. 
Um, that's not supposed to be a Dr. Pulaski, is it? I think it's supposed to be Dr. Pulaski. Wow. Got a hell of a shape. Yeah, she did. She was working out. <laughs> I don't know. They she never dropped show a her... few pounds, you know. <laughs> they never show her face, but I think that is supposed to be her. Yeah, I, I thought so, too, because she's got that fluorescent blonde hair. And right. actually not blonde, yellow. Yeah. Yeller hair. She's got yeller hair. Okay, that's all I'd say about this one. The only thing I have to say is there's like two random crew members that get beamed up at the very end with Picard and Riker. Right. Where did those guys come from and where were they the whole time Riker was fighting to the death? <laughs> Maybe cause I, they, well, I'm sure they were there. It's just, I mean, are they supposed to be security guys? It's like, well, a lot of help. Yeah, why wouldn't you pick a security guy to be your champion and not your first officer? Exactly. Well, because Riker volunteered. I get I would get your biggest, burliest. <laughs> I would have gotten Worf down there. We already saw that he could take exactly. out those why? big giant it's, lizard guys. That's a good point. Because that the first thing that occurred to me when they were going through all this, although Riker was already volunteering, the first thing that came to me is, well, that's why they showed they should get Worf down there. That's why they were showing him working out and stuff, you know, with the big thing or whatever. Yeah, it's like, why not? A, a better choice than than Riker, but. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. You want to jump into three, or do you have anything else? I got nothing else on this one. Let's go. Okay. Oh, I never did say what the title of that one is. I'm really bad at doing that. That one is bad called man. Murder Most Foul. I will say Murder Most Foul. Yes. Murder Most Foul. Okay. The third one is not a murder mystery. It is called The Derelict. But it is it does have its own mysterious things going on, as we will see. This one's published uh, December 1989. Uh, same crew. Right, same crew. And let's start. The cover shows a red-haired young male crew member, McRob, probably, and Troy, close behind Riker, who is very close to a door. They are all looking to their right as if a great threat is there. They appear to want to go through the door Riker is up against. The word trapped uh, is, is on the cover, um, which tells us the threesome are trapped somewhere that looks like uh, it's somewhere in a ship. Not necessarily the Enterprise. The inside title page contains a full page panel with Picard sitting in 10 forward with Guinan behind the bar. Picard says he's disappointed and appalled over something. We find out that Picard is angry at himself for not spotting Lutina's deceit back on Ramon. Guinan assures him his mistake makes him human, not a fool. Picard said he is the captain, so he can't afford to be just human. Riker and Geordi are in engineering, where Geordi is warning Riker about some kind of anomaly that is affecting the ship adversely. He can't put his finger on the exact source, but he warns Riker to keep the ship's speed down to warp two or three to be on the safe side. Riker accuses Geordi of using this anomaly business to avoid a blind date Riker is trying to set him up on. Riker backs off the matchmaking, and Geordi says he will let Riker know if he changes his mind. Data hails Riker from the bridge, telling him they have encountered a derelict ship of unknown design that is devoid of life forms. After Geordi tells Riker, 
he really can't leave the Enterprise while the anomalies are adversely affecting the ship. Riker tells McRobe, McRob, he might have to go across to investigate the ship. McRob beams with the excitement of him being uh, able to be the main engineer on such an important mission. Picard sends an away team across to the derelict ship, made up of Riker, McRob, Worf, Dr. Pulaski, and two more guys I never saw before. So they're probably going to get killed. Okay. They are all in skin-tight white spacesuits with clear fishbowl helmets. On the derelict ship, Pulaski confirms with her red medical tricorder the ship's sensors, uh, the ship's sensor readings that say there's no life signs aboard. She says there is no indication of what might have extinguished the life forms that were likely on the ship previously. Worf comments that there is no damage to the ship compartments they have seen thus far. McRob reports that the ship itself is far from dead, as he is picking up significant energy readings from further forward in the ship. One of the red shirts reports he found the doorway to the next compartment. When they move to the next compartment, they find light and life support systems to be fully functional. They take turns proposing possibilities. Number one, the crew died. Number two, the crew abandoned ship. Number three, there never was a biological crew. Back on the Enterprise, LaForge reports to Picard that he found small cracks in one of the dilithium crystals. Oh, dilithium again. He says the problem should not hurt the crew, but if the crystal cracks further or even shatters, engineering could have a real mess on their hands. LaForge recommends replacing the crystal as soon as possible, but, but, but Picard wants to wait until the team has returned, the away team, that is. LaForge accepts the plan. Back on the derelict ship, the away team discusses the lack of seats, monitors, and control panels, at least in the parts of the ship where they have been so far. However, there is light and life support, so that goes against the automated ship theory. Suddenly, one of the room's circular hatchways closes by itself and won't open. A second hatch begins to close, so Worf and McRob jump onto it trying to keep it from closing. It closes anyway and cuts them off from the rest of the team on the other side of the hatch. They try to open it manually, and when that fails, they try to blast it with a phaser. Back on the Enterprise, Troy senses fear and confusion from the away team. Picard tries to hail them, but only hears silence in response to the hails. A security officer reports interference is emanating from the derelict that is cutting off communication. Wesley reports that the systems are activating throughout the derelict ship. Picard tells O'Brien to transport the away team back to the Enterprise, but O'Brien reports an energy field is preventing the transport from being a transporter from getting a fix on them. Picard looks at the previously dead ship and sees it is coming to life. On the other side of the hatch, Worf and McRob try to phaser their way out to no avail. Suddenly, a scary-looking golden head appears to them on a view screen. It addresses them as samples and asks them not to be alarmed. The same image is simultaneously shown to Riker and the rest of the away team. 
the golden alien head, apparently a recorded message, tells them they have been chosen to be part of the expansion of taxon knowledge. They will be put into stasis and taken to the taxon homeworld, where they will be examined and eventually dissected. They will be well cared for as long as they live. The golden head bids them farewell since they will be entering stasis momentarily. In disbelief, Riker says, my God, in a small, shocked voice. Worf tells McRobb to get moving before the taxon program realizes two of their specimens are not trapped with the rest of the away team. Picard and the bridge crew see the derelict ship's engines start up and ready to go to warp. Picard orders a pursuit course. They increase speed to warp 9 to keep it from getting away. Geordi reminds Picard about the cracks in the dilithium crystal and tells him the engines could blow apart with the stress of high warp. Wesley reports warp 9 is not enough since the mystery ship is still pulling away from them. Picard tells Geordi that he wants all the speed LaForge can give them until they lose the, until they lose the engines. LaForge agrees to the captain's orders with dread. End of story. To be continued. What's going to happen? I don't know. It's a cliffhanger. Man, I'm going to have to wait two weeks to find out. Ah. Uh, yeah. Two weeks? Why two weeks? Yeah. Well, because next week we're reading Star Trek, the original series, three, or four, five, and six, and then oh, right. the week we after that we'll read four, five, and six of this series. Well, I must say, bad planning. I don't know. <laughs> Who's planning this thing anyway? Okay. Cool. Okay, well. It's so you're right, man. Pulaski is looking mighty good in that spacesuit. Yes, and uh, and for spacesuits, you know, not, not not obviously NASA didn't have anything to do with these spacesuits. Yeah, they were just very form-fitting. Uh, I guess they're supposed to be some sort of like lost in space type aluminum foil type suits. I, I don't know. <laughs> they're basically silver suits with a big fishbowl uh, helmet on. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the whole fishbowl helmet is a good idea because in, in stories and TV shows because you can definitely see the characters and everything they're doing. Um, and I suppose it's good for looking out. But, um, I don't know, I always kind of thought that was kind of... You know, obviously, the stuff... You'd want that stuff to be made out of something really tough if you're going to put your life uh, inside of a pressure suit. It's like transparent that. aluminum, dude. It doesn't get oh, much tougher than that. Transparent aluminum. Well, that then, there you go. Exactly. I don't know what you're talking about. I would feel perfectly safe in a transparent <laughs> aluminum bubble. You're just assuming that's what it is. Just assuming. It, it, right. could, be, it could be saran wrap, for all you know. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think. In the next generation, do we ever see spacesuits? I know we do in the movies, but in the show itself, do we ever? Uh, you're right... Um... First contact. Definitely. Definitely. And then um, they use those same suits in Deep Space Nine and Voyager. But I can't remember in in uh, Next Generation, did they ever use spacesuits? I cannot – I do not recall a, 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 an episode that had that. Weird, right? Because the original series, the movie series, the and all the other TV series, Enterprise and everything, they all had them. Right. 
But I can't remember next gen ever having spacesuits. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, they got them here, and they're skin tight and white. Right. And they look protective. Uh, not not so much. But. <laughs> so in this one, uh, Data also has all the weird gestures that I was talking about earlier. Right. Yeah, and I wonder is was that written in? in there um you know by, by the author uh friedman or was that a pablo marcus uh thing well obviously i don't know for sure i would just assume that it's a artistic choice artistic choice yeah. there you go that'd be my guess but you know i never talked to pablo about it <laughs> let's give pablo a call mm. i would do you have his number uh Oh, well. Uh, speaking of drawing, I thought Worf is not drawn too well in the story. He looks a little emaciated, doesn't he? Well, yeah, he just looks a little goofy, especially on page 15, where he's waving his arms around. <laughs> yes, indeed, he does look goofy, and he has the weird arm gestures, which a lot of these characters seem to have. <laughs> right. Now, Jordy looks pretty good in the... Uh... Setting it you know, towards chair? the end. Oh, so it's like like the last. I think it's the last panel of the whole thing. I, that yeah. looks that looks pretty. That's a pretty good rendition of. LeBron oh yeah, Burton. yeah. Just to say, it's not all bad. I, I don't. I don't think it's bad at all. No, no. I'm just, just mentioning. I just think they try to liven up the action on, on in the panels with some weird arm gestures. Right. But otherwise, it would be kind of boring. Just talking heads. Yeah, I suppose. But Worf still looks weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about, Captain? Oh, well. <laughs> Actually, on the last page, uh, I think Picard is drawn, again, pretty weird. But obviously it's an artistic decision, as opposed to a printing problem. Oh, the, the, the top? The top right panel uh, on the last page of the story. Right, it's kind of a silhouette, kind of, but it's, but it's just... kind of like uh, you know, it, it, some shadows in like tan color. It's it's a little weird, but this you know this is where Picard is making the commitment. We have no choice, Mister LaForge. That derelict ship has suddenly taken off along with our away team, and this is after you know, Geordi's reminding him about the dilithium crystal thing, which by the way hate dilithium crystals. It's such a crutch, but whatever. Um, yeah, so Picard drawing weird, you know, he's mostly all white. I mean, bright white, silhouette with a little bit of, like, tan shadowings drawn in. Obviously an artistic decision. I, I didn't think it was that bad, so... No, I don't think it's bad, per se. It's just unnecessary. It's odd. I mean... You know, Pablo chose to do this, or the colorist chose to do this, or somebody chose to do it. It's just, I don't think it, I mean, I, I just don't think it adds anything. It just kind of throws me off a little bit. I get you. Well, and if you remember in the miniseries, he did a lot of that too, where, you know, like if somebody was talking on a communicator, there was one where it was just like a close-up of a communicator, and you saw like their faces inside of it. I mean, it was... Obviously, that's not what was really happening. It was just an artistic choice. So, mm. 
I think he's just uh, trying to express himself. So cool. yeah, on uh, if you look on page 19, there's a picture of uh, O'Brien. And he's sitting at the transporter <laughs> station, and it looks mm -hmm. like he's thumbing through like a magazine or something. Yeah. Yeah, that does look like that. That is rather odd. It looks like it's uh, it's like paper that has, you know, all those little little holes perforated in it for those spiral binder things. Yep. But there's no spiral bit in it. It's all just paper. Good right. Point. It reminded me of the old, um, you know, the old music paper that you would put into a player piano that has like all the little holes in it that the when it's going through the player part right. makes the keys go. Mm -hmm. yep. um, that That's what it looked like to me. But I, I don't remember that ever being a part of the transporter. <laughs> maybe right. he's reading the manual. <laughs> maybe that's it. I'm kind of new at this. Uh, how are you supposed to work this? And, and and Miles does look, I don't know, he looks rather thin or something. His face is rather... Yeah, a, a lot little, of the people a I different. think... A lot of the people I think look pretty thin. Like, like a lot of Picard looks really emaciated. Yeah. Right. So, anyway, you always know Miles was never uh, a guy that that was kept from the potatoes during meals. So, okay. And All the right. guy enjoyed carbs. It's got to be said. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> so he looks as particularly thin here. Anyway, so Pulaski has her normal colored hair. You did see that, right? Uh, she's no longer a platinum blonde. Uh, well, she's. Yeah, she does not have an inhuman blonde. She's not an inhuman yellow. I agree. Yeah, it's like an orangey brownish color. <laughs> orangey. She has the Lucille Ball haircut. The Lucille, exactly. But I'll just, yeah, it, this does look more human. I mean, it looks closer to what a human would be. <laughs> a human hair color. It's closer. Yeah, so this one's obviously a setup for the next issue. Um out of the three, I would say this is probably my least favorite, but uh, the next one's actually pretty good. I went ahead and cheated and read it. Oh, man. I know. I couldn't wait. So what do you think of the um, – oh, not to not to divert us from the next issue, but uh, what do you think about the, the alien mask head thing? If that is indeed a mask. I mean, it looks like a mask, but who knows? Yeah, I was wondering about that. I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be his face or a mask or what. Yeah. It is demon looking. Yeah. With those big long red fangs, yellow right. yellow face with like tentacles coming out kind of. Yeah. It, I don't know why exactly, but it reminds me a little bit of like maybe some kind of a, a Central or South American deity something or other. Yeah, I could see that. But... Yeah, I do think it's funny that the message that says what's going to happen played outside of the room because Worf and McRob watched it. Yeah. And then and then then Worf acts like the like that like nobody would know that they're not inside the room and then I'm like, "Well, why did it just play there?" It, exactly. I mean, it 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 looks like it's playing in the room they're in. And yeah. also the idea that that these guys have set up this trap or something, um, 
where they can only trap them in this particular room that most of the way away team, but not all the away team is in. Seems a lot. You think they would they would have done it as soon as all five of them are in the room? Uh, that, or maybe the trap is a little bit broader instead of being just one room. You know, wherever uh, Worf and uh, McRob is also. Right. So until Worf says, we got to move before they realize we're not trapped, it's like, oh, oh, is that how it works? They haven't got everybody? Oh, okay, fine. Okay, so now I know, how, and now I know the wedge they, they're going to use in the next issue to uh, get out of this. And obviously, Mc, Mc, I mean, at least it's setting up this, that uh, McRob will prove himself. You think so? You don't think they'll just kill him off? And say, yeah, we'll have Barkley in a couple of months. You're dead. Well, they could kill him off. But if he does, does get killed off, which I don't think he will, but if he does get killed off, um, I'm sure he will do it saving the day with Worf, his hero. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not going to tell you. Well, you would know. I would know, and I do know. <sighs> but I'm not telling. For another two whole weeks. I know, you're... You're going to have to wait. Well, I like the uh, the derelict ship. I thought it actually looked kind of cool. Uh, it was different. It, it reminded the... me of those um, those cat Romulan? people. I forgot their names oh. in the animated TV series and in the uh, comic book series mm -hmm. that we read. Yep. Uh, you know the ones I'm talking about? Yeah, I know which ones. The ones we kept on going back and forth about whether it was uh, a falcon or was it a cat paw or you know whatever yeah exactly yeah those look that looks pretty cool this looks cool looks different unique um although the very front of it reminded only and only the very front of it reminded me a little bit of a uh a next gen romulan uh ship where it's kind of like has the kind of face sticking out of it the front of it yep i definitely see that i see a little bit of that but other than that it's a unique shape it's unique uh design now are those supposed to be engines on top of it too i guess so because when it takes off at warp like nine it it shows like exhaust spewing out of them so yeah hmm. i guess so so i just want to mention mention um in 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 some episodes i don't know how many episodes ago but i think i had i know i had mentioned how i did not recall next gen use having to use the dilithium crystal crutch, right? At least maybe behind the beyond the first season. The first season of, uh, of Next Gen seemed to lean kind of heavily on the original series. I mean, they basically redid a lot of the uh, original Trek uh, episodes, but with a Next Gen crew, right? Um, but but even then, in, in the first season, I didn't recall them really using dilithium crystals. But they certainly are here, so. So did you look it up? Because I thought they did use them. I did not look it up. Oh. Did you look it up? Of course not. <laughs> well, they're using them here, so. Right. Um, yeah. yeah it, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. I guess because I'm just used to it. Right. But I, and, you know, and, they have and, to have something power the ship, and it could, well, but, could go wrong. But... It doesn't power a ship. Helps propel it. The matter-antimatter reaction generates the power. It's the dilithium crystals that help focus the power. 
so it can be used. See. At least that's what I had read. No, that that's you're right. I misspoke. Right. No, no, I just being I'm just being picky. I don't know. Okay. I, I I don't know. It doesn't bother me. I mean, it, it's a. Is it a crutch? Sure, but it's a valid one. I don't know. It'd be no different than you know you're running out of fuel somewhere, and then having to, you know, make it back on foot or something like that. It just adds a level of tension. Right. Cool. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Whatever. It's just uh, in the original series, I was just so sick of hearing about the lithium crystals, especially when Scotty would say it. But sir, the dilithium crystals. It's like blah 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 blah. Guess I <laughs> All right. Did you know that the space shuttle have has its own theme song? The the NASA space shuttles. The, the NASA space shuttle, and it was composed by Bear McCreary, who's huh. the guy that does all the uh, Battlestar Galactica and uh, uh, Caprica music. Oh, really? So yes. he's been doing it for a while, or just the more recent space shuttles have had? No, no. I think I think the space shuttle period. You know, generally speaking, the space shuttle has a theme song, and I and I would I would assume it's new. I don't know. Is it something for the last shuttle? Because by the way, you know, time's all kind of wacko. But in the not too distant future, like later this month, I think. Yeah, later this month, because we're recording in July. Uh, uh, I think it's Atlantis. The last space shuttle launch is going to happen. I know. It's uh, sad, right? It's very sad. I mean, it, it needs to be retired. But what what's more sad is that we don't have anything to replace it. <laughs> That's the pitiful part. And yeah, not a, not immediately, but I think they have some. Oh, they got it all. They got plans going. It's just, you know, I mean, when that stops, the U.S. will have no way of getting people into space, uh, except depending upon the Russians and other countries. Right. It's we're kind gonna, of pathetic. We're going to start bumming rides. <laughs> it is. It's kind of pathetic, quite frankly. But then again, the whole space shuttle program was so expensive. I mean, it really sucked a lot of NASA budget, you know, the whole time it was it was going. So, oh well. Is that right? Oh, it was, a, it was a huge portion of the NASA budget. It was a very expensive program to run. Anyway. But it was so, it was so cool. It's very cool. It's very cool. You ever been? I mean, I'm sure you have, but have you ever been next to one of those space shuttles? Um, a mock-up of one, not a real one. So uh, in the Air and Space Museum. Oh, they don't have a real. They didn't put a real. Well, one? not when I was there. Oh, okay. They've got the. They've got one of the shuttles, maybe even the Enterprise. But I'm thinking for some reason it isn't the Enterprise. But the Air, it, Enterprise is at the Smithsonian. Well, they're yeah, at Dulles. That's it. Well, right. So that's the Smithsonian uh, Udvar Hazy, something right. like that, uh, museum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I know they've got a shuttle there. So it is the Enterprise? Yeah, that's the Enterprise. Okay. And I've never been to that one. So, yeah, that's the huge hangar-like museum that's at uh, Dulles Airport. Right. Um, I'd, I'd love to go to that place, but I've never been there. Yeah, I, I always wanted to go, too, and I never made it. All right, so that being said, I guess we'll kind of reconvene next week that to go over great. the original series, numbers four, five, and six. Yes, which I'm looking forward to. Those were, the first three were good stories. I think the next three will be quite good, too. 
I agree, and we can see what happens with um, the blue mohawk guy. <laughs> He's blue-skinned, white mohawk. There you go. What's his name? Uh, Futon? Futon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, with, we won't do any of this elsewhere stuff because we went over the same time period last week. So. Great. Perfect. So catch you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody, for joining in. Bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.